0: We are continuing our series in Nehemiah. So we're going through the book of Nehemiah. I'm just going to get rid of my keys. They're annoying me there. We're going through the book of Nehemiah. And we've called this series From Rubble to Restoration. From Rubble to Restoration. Just before we start, I. I used to play football. I've not played football in so long. I used to play football a long time ago. It's a couple of years now since I played football. But I used to play for a local team when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And I used to be a goalkeeper. And I was quite quite a good goalkeeper, if I do say so myself. I think I was just putting goals because I was tall, it was the initial reaction. And then I just thought, right, I'm going to make the most of this. And I ended up being quite quite good, and ended up uh, training with Dumbarton Football Club. So I was 13, 14 years old, yes. Got a couple of cheers there, that's exciting. I'll chat to you guys later, that'll do my confidence the world of good. Uh, But I ended up training with Dumbarton, and uh, I'd go to the goalkeeping training, and I'd do all that uh, running about and all the drills, and uh, would get to the matches, and we'd end up losing like five or six nil and uh, but then we would draw a game and then we'd continue with the same team and then we'd start getting some results and uh what often happened was the people that scored the goals got all the glory and when i used to save some shots or have a good game and i'd come off the park and i'd go oh that was that was a good game nobody would say anything you know goalkeepers are so (laughs) underappreciated And defenders are so underappreciated in the the shape of a football team, in 11 people, everyone is needed. Everyone is needed to perform their role. And some people are a bit more in the unseen side of things. When things go well, the goalkeepers are never talked about. I'm not bitter, by the way, just just to share. That sounds like something's rising up there. It's just an illustration. But everyone is needed. Everyone is needed. We are continuing this series looking at Nehemiah. And Pete looked last week at the second half of chapter 2 of the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah went to inspect the rubble. The rubble of the walls of Jerusalem. And where he first spoke out. So God had been speaking to him. And then there was this period of time before he actually spoke it out. The words came to life about the restoration job at hand, what God was preparing him or commissioning him to go and do. And uh, then we read of the first account of opposition to uh, the rebuild from a couple of individuals as well. And I love the book of Nehemiah. It's my favorite book. Of, it's my, one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's a story of restoration at the heart of it. It's a story of participation, in the rebuild of a wall. It's a story of perseverance when opposition and life doesn't go the way that we want it to go. It's a story of God sharing his heart and the direction uh, and into an individual's life, into an individual's life that's rerouted towards something far bigger and far more manageable than it is in human terms. So many things needed to be God in this story. And they were God. It was a real faith adventure. And as we look back at the last 18 months, as we reflect, as we come here and gather, are we up for a faith adventure again? As we survey the rubble of our city, of our lives, of this last season, I, I believe there's an opportunity, there's an invitation for a Jesus adventure, to go again. Do we stand in the rubble, step through it, accept it, or are we uh, are we picking it up? Are we rebuilding? Are we saying yes to Jesus and, and walking, adventuring with him? In chapter 2, verse 18, just before we get to the verses that we're going to read, Nehemiah was sharing for the first time what God has assigned him. And we read the words, let us start rebuilding. If we go back a wee bit, I think there's a slide before then they replied let us start rebuilding so they began this good work and chapter 3 which we're going to do a few verses i'm i'm feeling brave <laughs> in terms of the list of names list, there's a list of ver- uh, names that we often scan through i don't know about you guys but when you get to certain parts in the bible you're like oh man that's just a list of names and you think what what help you know i'll skip past that a wee bit Actually, these verses that we're going to read, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. We see name after name of folk responding from different backgrounds, places, professions. So we're going to read chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Builders off the wall. And it should come up on the screen as well. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshechabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Banna, also took repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. The jeshana gate was repaired by Judiah, son of Passiah, and Meshelem, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah. Melatiah of Gibeon, and Jadin of Mironoff, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of ha- Haruhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Refaniah, son of Har, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Je- Jediah, son of Harumath made repairs opposite his house, and Hatush, son of Hazhabaniah, made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Harim, and Hassab, son of. This was a good idea when uh, before. Pahath Moab repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. I think we'll just move on to the next part of the service now. We see different people from different backgrounds, different uh, stories. We see perfume makers. We see goldsmiths. And, you know, I think as we pick up, you'll be wondering why these bricks were here, won't you? I had to ask my son's uh, permission to use these, and we... We negotiated a deal so some sweeties are in order later. As we pick up the rubble as we find the rubble of this last season of not meeting, of not seeing people, of if things stopping and everything we've had to contend with and journey with and process we're left with the rubble and uh, as, a, as a church family we see different people picking up a part. We see Gavin, who's, give us a wave, Gavin, up at the back there. He's uh, in the NHS in management. He's picking up a brick, and he's working and building a tech team, and that's kind of popping on here. And we see Jake and Dean. I don't know where Jake and Dean are. They're maybe through helping. Oh, Jake's up there at the back. We should give him a cheer. We see Jake and Dean, who are secondary school kids. They're they're brilliant young men who are coming each week and helping, unpacking, and they're helping with the... The wee rebuild of our wee church. We see Emma, who's a beauty therapist, rallying the worship crew to lead us into praise so brilliantly every week. And she's picking up and then it's happening there. We see see Hannah, who's a nurse at the back there. Give us a wave, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Helping our preschoolers come into the presence of God. Picking up. Helping with the rebuild, and not only is this a, a church kind of centric illustration, but a, a love and heart for the city as we step out of here. It goes beyond this room. We see, for example, my wife Mary, who's a nurse, who's speaking life and prophetically over people in our workplace. She's picking up a brick to restore the city, for the sake of the city. We see, uh, we see. Uh, I've got loads of people who aren't here. <laughs> We see people who are teachers. We see people who are opticians. We see people who are having conversations and helping people and uh, listening when uh, life is tough with colleagues, cooking meals for friends who are not well, investing in their marriage and relationship with God. You can see all the bricks coming, in to, uh, coming to build, rebuild what has been once rubble. We see couples going, actually, I'm going to get, after this last 18 months, our finances are just an absolute mess. I'm going to pick up the rubble of that, and we're going to go and get in touch with CAP, and we're going to bring it to God, and we're going to take that brick and start restoring that. There's one point you'd like to, you'd be glad to hear. There's one point and one point only to this morning's talk. We're not going with three points. Everyone is needed. Everyone is needed, not just here, but for our city, for Inverness, and everything that we do. We're not called to be a church that stands in the rubble. But we're called to be a church where the presence of God grips us so much to the point that hey, we're shook. We're shook, and he reminds us that we are Jesus people. We are kingdom people, and that we, he chooses, let old us, to be the rebuilders. He says, I want to use you. To, to, he wants to rebuild us from the inside out that then we take a brick and we go, okay, I'm, I'm ready for the rebuild job, for the life of our city, for the sake of our city. And everyone is needed, even the perfume makers and the, the other people as well. People who you go, oh, wow, they're involved with that. I thought they just made perfume. The pandemic disrupted all of our lives. And of course, it massively disrupted our life as a church. We couldn't meet at all. And then when we couldn't meet, we couldn't sing. Who was at the gatherings when we were some hummers, you know, we were, hmm, <laughs> hmm, <laughs> Then we had to be socially distanced. And then we have to wear masks, which is, again, when you're giving it loudly during worship, you inhale half your mask, we can't. Socializing was strictly limited. Our routines of going to life group or coming to church were completely devastated. (laughs) And a lot of things have now changed, which is great, but many of us have got into new routines. And while some of them have been maybe beneficial, not all of those routines are are maybe improvements on where we were pre-COVID. And we stand, perhaps some of us at a bit of a juncture, where we need to give careful consideration as to what parts of life under COVID are we to retain and what parts are we needing to ditch as we seek to establish what does my life look like as we step forward. And maybe today's an opportunity for like uh, evaluation or an MOT or a reflection. How, how am I? What am I carrying? What am I doing? What do I want to do? What's my dreams? How, uh, how am I inviting God into them? Not just in a church sense, but in terms of what I do, who I am, with here in my life. Many, uh, many of us will have seen this diagram. I remember it. It gives me shivers when I see it from my business studies lectures at Sterling University. The Maslow Hierarchy of Needs. And after our basic needs like air, food, water and shelter are met, meaningful connection with others is very important. Where we experience love and belonging and inclusion and it's reckoned to be the main need that people have in order to function in any sort of healthy way. It's crucial to our well-being. We do better when we are in community. I don't know about you guys, but just being with one another is such a life-giving thing. It does something. You know, all that time of online, and then we came back into the cinema, and it was like, we've been away for ages, but it feels like we haven't been away. I love you all, Hey, I'm back, I see you. I, I can see you people, and it does something to us. We are We are wired to be in community with one another. We need each other, and the same is true of our faith, we need, Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not a solo sport, it's a team game. It's a team game. We read uh, time and time again in God's word of the church being described as a body, as as a building, as a household or a family. And those metaphors, they all conjure up pictures of many parts coming together to form one body but right now we're in a disrupted time because the body has many parts which are still disconnected the body the building has living stones that are missing the family has gaps around the table so i guess what what i want to do for all of us here this morning and i encourage folk that aren't here as well to watch maybe you could Uh, do that as well. We're recording. I'll say hello to the camera. It'll be up on YouTube as well for folk who uh, aren't with us this morning. But we want to say that unless your health or some significant challenge prevents you from doing so, uh, which we understand might be the case for for some of us, we're longing for you to make a priority to, to come each week to church, to worship together, to seek God's presence and to be part of the rebuild of the city. The rebuild of our wee church as well. The rebuild in our workplaces. The rebuild in our family lives. The rebuild in our marriage. And we're saying that not just because uh, we care about the church, but because we care about you as an individual and we care about the city as well. We We love Inverness. We love Inverness. Now, I'm not much of a tree expert, but the next picture... Is a picture of a tree called the giant redwood. Does anybody would anybody have known that? A few people, yes? Oh. That's good. Now, despite a giant redwood being the tallest tree, one of the tallest trees in the world, they have really shallow roots. They're able to thrive because they don't grow alone. The root of each tree intertwines with others and they even fuse together as you can see in the next picture and it creates a vast network of support below the surface. In a similar way gathering together in the same space as we're doing this morning creates natural conditions for building mutually supportive relationships. We experience those Unplanned conversations that happen just as we're about to leave. That's so life-giving and we get a connection. We go, oh, let's do coffee. And you spend time and God's in the room and stuff happens. Those brief moments as we greet each other, those moments of connection, those couple of minutes we have before we open God's word where we chat to someone we don't know. The deeper conversations that we have with people who are going through a really tough time and those are moments that can foster true fellowship. And uh, here's another picture that I, I wanna show that will come up now. And somebody had posted this, and they said, the thinner tree was cut years ago, and the big one has been holding and feeding it since then. Isn't that such a cool picture? Th- uh, someone commented to this and said, this is called inosculation." Inosculation, when branches or roots of different trees are in prolonged intimate contact and they often abrade each other, exposing their inner tissues, which may eventually fuse. Similarly, for, similarly, I can't say that, just like us, the interactions we have with regular close contact, whether in church or in life group or for those coffees through the week or a meal, They invite us, those interactions invite us to expose the deeper layers of our lives together. And when we do that, there's a joining that happens at a deep level. On a a practical level, I I just want to re-encourage, if you're not part of a life group, or maybe you are part of one, but you haven't been along in a little while, I just want to encourage you to, to invest. Invest. All our life groups are up online and to join in with that through the week. The Apostle Paul's desire for church members is that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. In Colossians 2 verse 2 we read that. Wherever you are in your faith, I don't know exactly where each and every one of us is at. Perhaps you're exploring, perhaps you've been a a Christian for many years. Perhaps uh, you're feeling really dry just now and empty We all grow not just by interacting personally with Jesus, but by living out our faith, rubbing shoulders with our Christian brothers and sisters. I was watching a a talk a couple of weeks ago, and it was speaking about just the importance of these gathered environments when we rub shoulders against each other, because when we rub shoulders against each other, all sorts of things happen. You know, we get excited and we're like, yes, we have a connection. We get annoyed, oh, why did they say that? You know, it allows us, when we rub shoulders are in close contact with everyone, it allows us to journey with Jesus, they, you know, and, and make us more like Jesus, because in this room, we're not perfect but rubbing shoulders with each other in our imperfections and in our frailties and also in our excitement and our dreams and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak. He not only speaks through the exciting stuff, but he'll, oh, why am I feeling like that? Why is what they've said made me feel like that? Then we respond and we go to Jesus and we go, why have I felt like that? Lord, show me. And we become more like Jesus. We need that rubbing together. We need these environments. I wonder where we each fit in, in terms of that illustration. Who are we to invest and gather with intentionally? Who would the Lord fuse to us together with in life group? Who are we called to hold on to and to feed for a season? If we are, are feeling, if we know that we're called to that and we're ready for that this next season. As we step in, his plans and his purposes are revealed. The gathered church is such a melting pot for the kingdom. There's such potential. There's such, such potential for what Jesus wants to do. And maybe there's a moment of just coming to Jesus today and going, what what is my peace? What are you calling me to just now? Here I am. Everyone is needed. The Apostle Paul also likens the church to a body, many parts, all needed, all have a function, and our body is perfectly knitted together. Like muscles, for example. Now, some would debate that I don't have any muscles, given that I'm very tall and skinny, but I have the heart of a lion. You should see me on logistics. I can lift a box, and you'd go, wow, how is he managing that? Muscles have to work in pairs. If I had biceps and no triceps, I'd be able to bend my arm, but I couldn't push. So that's your biceps, isn't it? Yes, (laughs) biceps, triceps, they work in pairs. And even the unseen parts are just as important. Next picture, Who who is, what part of the body is this? Does anybody know? Does anybody know? There's no prize, unfortunately. Uh, um, no. Nobody know? Oh dear. Going once. Going twice. The liver, liver. Uh. I don't even know if that's close. I know the answer, but I don't know in comparison. So it's the spleen. Everyone's like, oh, spleen. The spleen. Of course it is. The spleen filters blood, it manages red blood cells, it detects bacteria, it fights infection. We could live without it, but we're more likely to get ill. And the knock-on effect would mean that when we do get ill, it takes longer to recover. Think about the church just now, this gathering just right now. Here in screen seven, we are gathering, but in screen eight, we have Vineyard Kids, and then we have our Tots over in the foyer. If every team slot focused on here, on this space right now, and make this happen, then it would be an absolute, and not out there, it would be an absolute riot. <laughs> if every team focused just on this space, we, are Vineyard Kids and Vineyard Tots, their, their faith would be impacted, The leaders of those teams would be impacted, the knock-on effect of our families in the church, uh, a knock-on effect of our families remaining in the church, it would would snowball. Every area impacts another. And as we move forward, we just can't have our kids' ministries suffering. We just can't. We just can't. We have to prioritise these spaces. We want these spaces for uh, healings and uh, our kids to meet with Jesus in powerful ways. We want these spaces out with where we're meeting just now for the kids to encounter Jesus and his goodness. We want these spaces to be investing in the next generation uh, for the years to come. Everyone is needed and everyone gets to play as we've created spaces to make things happen and people are needed, uh, the continued growth of areas can only happen if people are willing to pick up their piece and, and, and find their place. Someone mentioned a couple of weeks ago a couple of people around teas and coffees. And until we see our teams served, our, our kids served, our teams in, in good health, especially our kids and tots, we, we just can't make that step. A vineyard church down south shared uh, until, we're not going to serve tea and coffee until we serve our kids. And uh, we realize that for some of you, you can't serve for a variety of reasons. Uh, But for some of us, it's linked to our experience of busyness. Uh, Dallas Willard, in a conversation, said the following around this. He pointed out that there's a world of difference between being busy and being hurried. Being busy is an outward condition. It occurs when we have many things to do. Busyness is inevitable in modern culture. Being hurried is an inner condition, a condition of the soul. It means to be so preoccupied that I am unable to be fully present with God, with myself and with other people. Busyness migrates to hurry when we let it squeeze God out of our lives. Jesus was often busy, but never hurried. We're not supposed to be hurried. John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, is fantastic, a fantastic resource, practical and uh, really helpful. But it's not the ruthless elimination of service. And by ruthlessly eliminating service, by actually doing that, we could be missing out on some of the most wonderful work that God has created us to do. So can we encourage you as a part of Inverness Vineyard Church, a part of, uh, as find, does, does this being your place, can we encourage you to say yes to serving, to rejoin a team that you were on previously perhaps, to speak to some folk that are, are clearing up and on teams on uh, after our gatherings, or head to our website and click the join in tab. And then there's a little bit called Serve on Sundays. And it all complements one another. It's all needed. And there's real, real blessing in it. Everyone is needed. We have an opportunity to not stand in the rubble, but to pick up a brick and to say yes to the invitation of the rebuild. To ask the Holy Spirit for opportunities in our weeks, piece by piece. And we see in chapter four, in these moments when we step out, in these moments when we say, yes, I'm going to pick up a piece. Yes, I'm going to step forward into that. We see in chapter four in Nehemiah that uh, when we speak kingdom, when we say yes to Jesus, the Sambalas and Tobias will come. They will be loud and they will be aggressive and they will be in your face and uh, it'll be tough. You know, things like, you know, what are you doing, stepping into that? You think you're going to make a difference? Like, you, you you shouldn't be serving there. Or you shouldn't be picking up that piece. Do you think you're qualified to do that? And for some of us, those interactions are crippling. Uh, we read in chapter four uh, of, of, of Tobias and Sam a uh, words and the doubts that they're trying to throw into this rebuild job. And for some of us, the Tobias and the Sambalas have been living rent-free in our heads. And now is the time to respond. Nehemiah responded in prayer every time this opposition came to rebuilding this wall. In verse 4, hear us, O God. Verse 9, we have prayed to our we prayed to our God. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Respond in prayer when opposition comes, just as Nehemiah did. It, Back in January 2020, we gathered together uh, for the Vineyard Leaders Gathering, our Vineyard National Gathering down in Trent. We're all uh, folk from all the vineyards across the UK gathered to worship together. And that we uh, got to see a premiere of a film called Legacy, Vineyard Legacy. And if you're not watched it on YouTube, have a wee watch of it. It's just a great insight into the movement and what God's done and what's to come. It's about an hour long. Maybe you've watched it before. Can I can encourage you to have a wee watch again of it. Uh, it's really, really encouraging. And as part of that interview, Carol Wimber, who was married to John Wimber, who's one of the founders of the Vineyard movement, he she shared a prophetic word. Now bear in mind this was recorded actually in July, I think it was of 2019, and it was shown in January 2020. So before the whole a pandemic and uh, she spoke about taking your place taking your place and she said uh, a few words around something coming that's going to be uh, wonderful that God's going to do but also it's going to be terrible that's good you know and but God wants us in the mix of that of what is to come to take our place to take our place. In the rubble, God intends to do something wonderful through all this. Everyone is needed. And it might not look how you planned it. It might be tough. Uh, It might be a God assignment too big for human hands, which should be the case. It might be conquering the walls that you've built over this last season. It might be taking that first step and just saying, yes, here I am. Let's take our place for the sake of our city for the sake of inferness, for the sake of those who don't carry the hope that we have.